Good Vibe Cinema presents Vibe Talking. Hey everybody, welcome back to another exciting episode of Vibe Talking, a podcast about films with off-the-charts vibes, films from the golden age of adult cinema. I'm Vic Terry, executive producer of Good Vibe Cinema and the host of this fabulous program here. And I am joined by my friend, my neighbor, and my co-star, Manny V. What's up? And tonight we are talking about Sex World, the 1977 film by Anthony Spinelli, who is one of my fave directors. Uh, You guys might recognize that name from previous episode about Touch Me, our favorite movie ever, which was like the first dirty movie I ever watched, which changed my life and like totally kickstarted this show here two very Um, (laughs) big enthusiastic thumbs up great movie y'all should definitely uh check it out check out our episode on that not just because it's totally bomb but because this movie here sex world is definitely like the spiritual sequel to touch me and so looking at these two films back to back is like super interesting yeah And there's going to be a lot of overlapping themes and ideas, you know, definitely assembling an ensemble cast of people to portray just regular individuals who get thrown into this uh, zany sexual experiment. But the other thing is that um, maybe not everybody thinks like, oh, Sex World, that's like that movie Westworld or Future World, which was eventually uh, adapted into the HBO series Westworld, which, yeah, this was a spoof. This is one of the the earliest uh, porn spoofs of a uh, mainstream property. But if you're wondering, if you watch Westworld on HBO, will you recognize much in this? Not really, other than it having robots you can fuck. I know, I feel like HBO Westworld is, like, pretty fresh to begin with. Yeah. (laughs) This is definitely more like Future World and not so much like Westworld. This is not Western. Yeah, there's nothing Western about this. That was nobody's fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody was trying to fuck you, no. Brenner. <laughs> so premise of this movie, similar to Westworld, if you, you take call the it emotional plot. core of Touch Me yes. in the world of Westworld. You so, you overlay that over the plot of Future World, essentially, but you take away like... Future World. This is more Future World than it is Westworld. <laughs> okay. And I'm talking about the original because the current iteration of Westworld is basically both those plots pushed together. There's sort of a conspiracy plot to Future World that doesn't really exist in this. It's just the sex with robots. Yeah. So basically, here's what happens in this movie. Here's the premise of this movie. So we have this group of people who sign up to go to this super exciting place, Sex World, where the whole tagline of it is like, we are going to make your wildest dreams come true. And it's like, how are you going to do that? And it's like, don't ask. Like, some (laughs) shady high-tech shit. Like, just... Just enjoy it. <laughs> and what's funny is you're definitely making it sound a lot sexier and more appealing than the fucking guy they got on the bus explaining it to them all. Oh my god. Okay, let's talk about the guy on the bus. So right away, right away, they are flexing on their production value here. It's like this. there's like 40 extras who are all getting into this bougie charter bus and they just got off a fucking private jet And it's like, look at this. And then we have this guy who is just like not attractive whatsoever. He looks like a like greasy teenager that worked at like Knott's Berry Farm or some shit. 
And he's telling everybody, like, hey, so for all of you in the bus here and for all of you watching at home, like, what is Sex World, you know? It's awesome. It's... But for some reason, like, the guy's, like, face and voice are just stuck in my head. And he's like, you might be asking yourself, what is Sex World? What are you going to be doing? You, sir, what's your name? This whole thing, like, goes on for a good, like, what, ten minutes yeah, at the you start? Yeah, you know why? Because they got to pop in all the uh, sponsorship. So where did you hear about Sex World? In a Screw magazine? Oh, what about you? <laughs> in an article from penthouse <laughs> it's like oh so that's where the jet came from okay this is starting to track okay i think i read about it in ooh la la <laughs> in a Wii magazine yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is great by the way i have a Wii magazine <laughs> oh yeah we but so you've got the bus part and like the bus part it's a good way to sort of set up the characters and their backstories but it does go on a little bit too long. And I think that's, there's too many characters and there's too much going on. And that's typified by how long this kind of like intro sequence goes on before they actually arrive at Sex World and then before like things actually start happening. What I will say about this film is that, you know, it improves on a lot of things that Touch Me didn't do that well, which is the pacing and how it actually gets into being an adult film, but actually at the same time, you know, having a more conventional narrative. For the most part, it does all of that pretty well. The first time you watch it, you have to be a lot more patient with it. When I went back and rewatched it, I really started enjoying it a lot better. See, yeah, I honestly, the first time I watched this one, like, I, I don't, like, this isn't my favorite film that we've covered, but I think it might be one of the best ones. Like, just from, yeah. like, a stepping back, looking at this structurally, looking at, you know, the craftsmanship of this piece. Because, like, obviously, Touch Me really resonates with me emotionally. But it's not going to be a film for everybody, you know? And it's pretty clear, you know, the technical, financial constraints that that film had, you know? I think, performance-wise, a lot of people really nail it. But there is a certain kind of amateur quality to the piece, you know? Um, Sex World... Five years later, Spinelli is still exploring these same ideas and something that I really dig in both of these films and kind of why I'm attracted to this genre at all is he likes to explore like why people are the way that they are and like why do certain things turn us on and like what experiences have we had that shape these desires and like what external factors in the world around us like influence that Um, and in Touch Me, it's kind of about a lot of people who have hang-ups and are in like a very uptight society, and that's kind of what they're working through, um, how they've internalized some of these things, and how that kind of inhibits them from you know being as sexual and comfortable with themselves as they want to be. In Sex World, even though the film itself is definitely more like shiny and fun than Touch Me. A lot of the tonal stuff is kind of a little bit darker, you know? I feel like uh, 
like touch me is more about hangups. I feel like sex world is almost a little bit more about trauma. Like it's like, yeah. it's, it's more personal versus societal. I feel like touch me is very much like these are our archetypes. Like you said, like everybody in the audience, it's like these types of people who might go to an adult film and like how they relate to it. Sex world is very much like these are individual characters and it's like what has happened to them in their lives that have given them the really specific fantasies that they have. And yeah. some of those things are kind of fucked up. <laughs> like... Yeah, it, it definitely felt like in Touch Me, there was a sense that we want these characters to appeal to as many people in the audience as possible. But in this, it's more kind of like, there's a more specific character that we're writing here. And if somebody in the audience does relate to this character, great. But that's not the angle that they're going for. They're more kind of like, we want you to understand who this character is more so than we want you to feel like you know this character. Another another thing about this is like when you talk about, you know, some of the darkness, like this definitely has more of an edge than than Touch Me does. Because like what Touch Me is going for is more kind of talking about people being able to to connect with others and, and use that as a way to kind of break out of the boundaries. Uh, this is a little bit more, like you said, like people working out some trauma. And with this, there's a pretty progressive message going on with a lot of the individual stories. And it's something that you might not notice as much on the first viewing, but you definitely start to pick up on subsequent viewings. There was a lot of thought that was put into some of these character stories and the one drawback is just that there's so many character stories that they're trying to tell. It's really hard for them to focus enough to fully, you know, uh, show all of that growth and development that the character's going through. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Because they've also got to have sex in there. It's sex world. Yeah, we can't. can't Without the sex, the it's just world. That's not chill. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants that. <laughs> So shall we get into it? Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, talk about these characters. Okay, so just to make it easier for y'all to track this film, we have our key players. We have Joan and Jerry, who are a couple that seems to be crushing it. They're hip, young, they read dirty magazines together, they get down all the time, and they're both like, yeah, babe, sex world would be dope. Let's do it. You know, seems like they've got it all going on here. Joan's an artist and she her specialty is painting uh, sexy naked ladies so very so you're kind of like mm, what's up with that progressive couple yeah they have an evolved view on things unlike Ralph and Millicent who are just messes yeah <laughs> they do not have it going on <laughs> but and, and... I think they have some of the most captivating scenes I love especially Millicent's like acting style is like oh my god these two couples they are like the two opposite ends of the porno acting spectrum I feel like Joan and Jerry are like we showed up we read our lines and we got fucked on camera. You know, I feel like Ralph and Millicent are like Dixie Ray style, like just heightened, like, how dare you talk to me like that? You know? <laughs> Which is my favorite style of acting. <laughs> Millicent is so good. She might, okay, next to Lisa, she's my favorite character. But okay, so their whole deal is like, these two cannot get down. Everything is just so uncomfortable. 
Ralph has like some bizarre mommy issues. Millicent is just like angry and cold and like both of them feel like the other person is like not trying but neither of them know like how to even begin to mend things so they are in a bad spot here yeah and with Um, ralph like he's one of those characters that he struggles to like he struggles with impotence it really shows you where the heart of this film is that his impotence issues don't stem from something physical they stem from something emotional then we have Lisa, the best character ever. Basically, female taxi driver. Lisa should have gotten her own fucking movie. Oh my god, I would love that movie. She is so amazing. So she is... That's the a... movie you need to make. Oh, that would be really good. Lisa. It's actually called Taxi Driver. This movie already exists. <laughs> 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 and no, I did not write it. <laughs> taxi Driver, but a girl. Somebody needs yeah. to hook these two up. Or, or just taxi driver, but not a dude. <laughs> so her whole deal is like, she's just this very quiet, lonely, not confident, not happy, and uses porn as a way of seeking out connection, seeking out like visceral, emotional, organic experiences, and like very much has this kind of hang up of like detaching herself from her own sexuality and wanting to project that onto a film and onto a character and onto something so that she doesn't have to experience that level of like vulnerability. So that's like, I think the most interesting character. Uh, Then we have Roger played by John Leslie, who has a shitload of screen time and like, no story he's just racist and it's a little uncomfortable (laughs) but he's not like dangerous southern man racist he's more kind of like hey look you guys have your own neighborhood we have our own neighborhood we ain't got to cross paths enough forget about it it's fine it's It's separate come on That's basically his whole thing. So you can, like, literally, just just knowing that, you can imagine where his story goes. You could completely cut it out of the film, and by the end of it, be like, yeah, no, I know what happened. Yeah, we can can fill in the blanks here. He Uh, went to a sex resort, and it changed him fundamentally as a person? Changed his view on the world? Hmm, I wonder how that went. (laughs) And then, uh, last and definitely least Mm. dale a character that i actually forgot was in this movie until you brought it up (laughs) i was gonna make that joke dale a character you could forget i literally did forget i'm like what he's saying you know i think some stuff needs to be cut out of this movie and i'm like really i thought this movie was great you know when i saw it a year ago what part should be cut uh, i don't know the whole part with dale and i'm like wait what part was that Who? i cut it in my own brain i was like that <laughs> didn't need to be in the movie dale is a broken-hearted professional lesbian who has experienced a traumatic breakup and is trying to let that go and that's pretty much it yeah. Like, there's no backstory other than, like, I got dumped and here I am about to fuck somebody else. Yeah, not great. Yeah. <laughs> it would be kind of creepy if Dale was a male. She's, like, the least necessary main character in the film. And she only has, like, one scene. Yeah. Everybody else has, like, a couple scenes and we have, like, flashbacks to them, like, in their life before they came to Sex World and intercut with flashbacks, flash forward. 
Dale is like, let's just do the one scene of her. Yeah. And we'll just and sum it up real quick. It's sort of like in, in, in a more conventional movie when there's the A and B plot and then there's also a C plot. And the C plot just isn't that good. The the character's not that interesting. Nothing about it's that compelling. And you're just like, why didn't they just cut this there out of the movie? There never needs to be a C plot. Dale's not even the C plot. Roger's the C plot. Dale's the D plot. <laughs> It She's didn't like need a G to be plot, like all the way, because <laughs> there's also a bunch of just randos in this movie who have like two minutes of screen time. Yeah, and so those are just the characters. So with this movie itself, going back to homeboy on the bus who is you know telling everybody, so what's Sex World? Where did you hear about Sex World? There is Sex World itself, and they never fully explain exactly what it is or exactly what's going on. And they don't really need to, but at the same time, the movie's called Sex World, and it's like, well, why did you have all of this if other than to just have an excuse to get people to come in and see it? And they're like, oh, we saw Future World, or we saw West World. Like, what's this Sex World all about? Oh, it wasn't so, part of the trilogy? Oh, I thought it was. <laughs> it is. It's that adult leg of the trilogy. The middle leg, you know, <laughs> that's dangling down in between the other two legs. So... Sex World is this resort where, through the use of these very advanced androids, people can experience their sexual fantasies. And they do have this scene, so after they get off the bus, they show up at the resort, they start kind of doing a little Q&A, and somebody asks about incest, and hopefully that person was instantly put on a list. But They didn't show that scene, if anyone's concerned. <laughs> no, <laughs> there wasn't an incest scene, which is why even have that in there. You know, it was just to be like shocking, like Ooh, what? <laughs> like what are people gonna do here? Like it's, it's to get that one weird guy in the audience, like all excited. He's like woohoo, and then like he leaves the theater and he's like, wait a minute, what the fuck was Dale in the movie for? Step siblings, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but they they have that, and so every once in a while, in between the scenes with all of these couples and the sex scenes, it will cut to these engineers who are you know controlling everything from behind the scene and they've got their little microphones and they're like you know stand by to send fuck robot to room 312b or whatever and that stuff is kind of jarring because whenever it does happen like if you start to really get into joan and jerry and lisa and and ralph and millicent storylines and even roger a little bit it kind of takes you out whenever they cut back to this other scene of people in this control room Or there's this one really bizarre scene that happens, and it happens just once, and it never really comes up again until the very fucking end. And it is right before Jerry's uh, sex scene. It shows one of the androids sitting in a room, looking in a mirror, and the way the lighting and everything is set up, it's supposed to be a little bit like sci-fi horror kind of thriller. And it clashes so strangely with the rest of the film and the rest of the imagery. Because whenever it shows just the people and the bus ride and everything, everything for the most part is like pretty like brightly lit and like fairly colorful. It's very contemporary of the time. But then it has like a shot like that and you're like, okay, am I supposed to be feeling like kind of like anxious, a little creeped out by this? And then it goes into this hot, like, threesome scene, which, in that, there's some comedy, but we'll get to it eventually. Yeah, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So, okay, so let's just start with 
just going into our first kind of setup character scene. We're on the bus. We get our first flashback. And this is of Joan and Jerry. And, you know, I already kind of said here, they're like a cool couple. But I think that they really, and this is just another example of just how great, like, the budget and, like, just the thought that went into everything. Like, their house is so cool. They have, like, just these, like, murals. Like, what was that, like, beef chili? Like, just, like, they just are, yeah. like, artsy and weird. And, like, it's just, like, those are, like, little characterization things that it's, like, they could have just been, like, oh, they have, like, a good-looking apartment. They're a cool, established couple. But they're, like, yeah. no, there should be, like, a, a painting of, like, a can of beans. And there should be, like, a statue of, like, a bull. And there should be, you know, like, somebody really, like, went hard with the, like, you the, know, the set, set dressing. <laughs> yeah, the, the set decoration is a little bit of a reflection of Joan's character because she's an artist. And so, obviously, like, she's going to include some, some pieces of visual art that she's interested in in their apartment and it doesn't distract it actually adds to the the whole aesthetic yeah and it just it, they it makes everything scene. feel like really lived in yeah you know the specificity yeah i thought that was so interesting because again like you know we talk about the contrast to them as a couple is millicent and ralph and their apartment is is more kind of like conservative and traditional mm-hmm. and it doesn't have anything to where it feels like a place you would want to go to and hang out in you're just kind of like oh okay this is where they live and reside you know but i don't want to be here and it's very clear that the two of them they're stuck in this situation and neither of them really seem like they want to be there god and you know what was so interesting about that jumping around over here a little bit there's a lot of color coordinating going on in ralph and millicent's house like Millicent has, you know, I'm a big fan of robes. This is a mm-hmm. reoccurring theme. I thought of you when I saw it. <laughs> oh, it was great. She has, it's like, it was like teal. And it totally matched the couch. Sorry, his robe matches the couch. And it made it feel like he is tied in with the decor of the house. And so it's like, not even so much like a relationship, but like being trapped there. Like, he is physically tied to this bedroom, to this home, and she is not wanting to be there, not wanting to be up in there, you know? Like, yeah. I, I, oh, I just thought it was so cool. Like, what it felt like to me was two people that were at the start of the long, like, three-decade decline into becoming just this sad, miserable old couple. And that Ralph just didn't feel enough, like, ambition to fight against that. And Millicent didn't realize that's what was happening, but she knew something was wrong. And it just made her deeply unhappy and incredibly frustrated with the fact that she didn't know how to change it. And Ralph didn't seem interested in helping her to prevent it from happening. What was so interesting about that, too, the whole time I'm watching it, like, they keep shifting the blame back and forth. You know, he says, like, oh, if you would talk sweet to me, that would help. And she's like, why the fuck am I going to talk sweet to this guy that I freaking hate, you know? And, like... What's really funny is, like, she's trying to give him a blowjob, and, like, he can't get hard. And he's like, come on, mama. He's like, just talk dirty to me. Just talk dirty. She's like, how am I supposed to talk dirty with it in my mouth, Ralph? Jesus, Ralph! (laughs) (laughs) And, like, she's, like, so... There's so much vitriol, and she's so... Yeah, it becomes palpable. Like, I'm watching it, and, like, at first I'm like, yeah, no, it would be hotter if she was talking dirty, but it's like, no, she makes a very good point. How the fuck is she supposed to do that? (laughs) 
she can't do both at the same time ralph and i also loved because i'm thinking i'm like jesus christ like how was there any way this relationship was ever chill like how the fuck did it even get to this point yeah you know there's a whole thing where ralph wants to do it with the lights on yeah and i feel like that is so interesting like i feel like i still don't fully understand what that means like i'm curious because you would think for someone who is not comfortable things aren't super fresh you're not super feeling it like it would be easier with the lights off there's always fucking blanche don't look at me with the light on and you know like i feel like it's just always like a theme with like characters like the lights on is too vulnerable but it's like this is a couple who even though they are not hearing each other and not understanding each other and whatever attempts they are having to repair things are not working it's like this is a couple like there's no bullshit here we know that we don't fucking like each other yeah we know that the sex is horrible you know and and the saddest thing about that is they're one of those couples that they fell in together and at some point they had to become aware that they weren't compatible but just the inertia of being together has made it almost impossible for them to separate. And so now they're miserable and they're frustrated with themselves and with each other because neither of them knows how to fix it. And then fortunately this magic solution comes along in the form of sex world. But even on the bus ride, the tension between the two of them is still very apparent because you can sense that Millicent has doubts about going along with this about even just staying with Ralph. And Ralph just has this anxiety over, like, will this actually fix anything? And I forget exactly what the interaction between them and the guide on the bus is, but it kind of, like, that's where you start to get that sense. And it's so subtle, but it's really interesting to have an adult film to actually put that in there and to have it come through with not only the writing, but also with the performances. Yeah, their performances are really fucking good. They're very heightened performances. You know, it's definitely a style. It's definitely a choice. But I really dig that. And I think, like, it for a film like this, I think that that heightened level of acting is almost, like, necessary. You know, like I was kind of roasting Joan and Jerry because I don't feel like their performance is as strong, especially having those two couples with scenes back to back. But mm-hmm. I feel like sexually, Joan and Jerry's performances are really good. And I'm not just saying like, oh, like I thought their sex scene was like hot or whatever. I mean, I thought that their acting was kind of bland. And, and honestly, I thought that their sex scene was a little bit bland, like the, well, the introductory scene of, the, of, uh, of Joan and Jerry. But I did feel like there was some characterization going on like okay big fan of blowjobs over here i thought that that part was so fucking good because my like hot take for this whole movie of like why i think this film like really really works and is like one of the better adult films is that we're constantly talking about how to balance like sex and story and i Mm -hmm. think that this movie has mastered that has totally cracked the case i think that the way to do that is to have a story that like sexual has a pretty specific like big premise but plot wise there's not really like a linear narrative it's just like we're just seeing like what do these people's weekends look like and what does that show about them and how does that experience change them you know so like there's not really much going on plot wise it's all about character and like who are these people and how does that manifest sexually and if you are a 
good performer and like a both a good actor and specifically like a good adult film actor you should be able to convey those feelings on your face and like with your body like in those scenes you don't have to have like these long expositional things you know to like show a character and like let's throw in all these details and let's throw in all this this and this you know like we want to get to know these characters like to some extent so we're like invested but like Joan and Jerry give a so-so acting performance we're like okay I get the concept of what this couple is but then they have this sex scene where you can tell how solid their relationship is by the way that she blows him you know and the way that she looks at him and that's another thing to think about, too, that, I, that I'm cognizant of, like, watching these sex scenes. Something looking good for the camera versus, like, actually feeling good for the performer involved versus, like, emotionally resonating in a certain way. And, like, how do we frame th- certain things? And, like, who is this meant to appeal to? This is, like, a very sloppy blowjob. Just getting all <laughs> up in there, like, spooging her hair, you know, just, like... But it's, like, it doesn't feel gratuitous. It feels like this is a character who's pumped and likes it kind of dirty. Yeah. You know? And so it's like then when they're laying in bed together, shooting the shit, looking at the magazine, being like, oh, damn, should we go to Sex World? I don't know, babe. Do you want to? It could be fun. Like, they're having just a very, like, normal human conversation. In the back of your head is that filthy blowjob we just watched. You can feel, and I love seeing that balance too. That was something I really, really liked about the two of them. This is a couple that is like talking about things openly. They're feeling each other out. And it's kind of cute and kind of funny like when it's like, well, you circled the ad. It sounds like you want to go. Well, I mean, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. But like, you know, and it's like how they kind of tease each other. Like, well, we should go. Like, why not? You know, and like it just, you know, I wasn't getting that dynamic just in their dialogue scene. But after that, it was like, I get it. You know? And that was the thing for me is their chemistry between the two performers, you know, that and just the breezy way that they were kind of like relating to each other and how it didn't feel like, oh, us having sex is, it's meant to like stimulate the audience. It's more, this is what we would be doing even if there weren't cameras in here. It's a good contrast against a couple that is going through a very rough time in their relationship. And then also just, it's an interesting contrast to have that in there where you have this other couple looking at like maybe we should go to sex world as kind of like a last resort a hope to save our relationship kind of move whereas they're just like i don't know i mean like this kind of seems interesting to me would you want to go and it's like yeah like totally yeah, i'm done on vacation for it. those other two are like they're doing it for fun not, not out of desperation <laughs> yeah and then we get to to lisa oh the best character ever and i'm gonna say the hottest scene in the movie this scene the phone sex man okay so going back to before when you were talking about um the set decoration this is something that i thought was really interesting and and again it was something that stood out to me when i went back and and watched it the second time and that is first you have lisa's place which kind of has this kind of like cold sense of like yes it's some it's a place where someone lives But there's not a lot you can tell about the person who lives here. Like, it's Mm -hmm. kind of devoid of personality. Then she calls the sex hotline number. First, she puts on a wig. Oh, okay. Which I think is a really interesting character move to make. (laughs) Oh, God. Lisa is... Okay, I'm saying she's taxi driver. She's also (laughs) me. Maybe that's why I love taxi drivers so much. (laughs) Okay. So, these other peeps with their hardcore, amazing, detailed set design 
great set design here, but the fucking costume design. She's, okay, what, what's the line in Taxi Driver when it's like, little truth, little fiction, walking contradiction, or whatever the line in that movie, you know? Yeah. This is Lisa, and with her costumes, because she's wearing like this conservative button-down shirt, you know, but then she's got like loud makeup and like a blonde wig and then she has these like long like perfectly sculpted nails but they're like beige you know like it's just like all these things where it's like you could tell like she wants to be sexy but like doesn't know how or more so i think she doesn't feel like she can and that's what happens emotionally during this phone sex scene and so basically what happens lisa is talking to the counselors or the the people running sex world what's your experience going to be like because some of these people some of these characters come in and they're like yo this is what i want make it happen but a character like lisa they're trying to feel her out they're like what is deep down what this chick really needs you know and she definitely has like surface level there's a certain amount of repressed nature going on here like she's like okay sex feels inappropriate dirty it's she says that she goes to see you know porno movies in the theater and she's all like blushing about it and like you know like so there's a certain amount of like oh i don't think i should do this you know but i want to but then there's also and this is the part that to me is super relatable and interesting is it's not just a hang-up or like a sense of shame it's more the way that she perceives herself. I don't feel like I'm a person who is capable of experiencing these things or deserving of these things or like, I'm not that type of person and I want to be. So I'm going to put the wig on and I'm yeah. going to call this guy and I'm going to play this character. But it's like, who's to say that she can't be that as her, you know? And I think it's more than just like, I don't want to be judged. I don't think I should. I think it's that she genuinely does not have that belief in herself or there's just this disconnect of how she sees herself. Well, here's, you know? here's what I, I read from it is that there is the person that Lisa knows herself to be and that she feels like she has to present to the outside world. But then there's this idealized version of herself that she wants to be. And a big part of that is, is someone who is very sexually expressive. Wearing that wig and having phone sex with a stranger is sort of a way for her to safely facilitate living out that idealized version of herself. And so the way that they have her come in and she puts on the wig and you're seeing this clash of who she really is versus who she's trying to be and she mm -hmm. turns down the lights. And then what I thought was really interesting was the way that they don't just have her talking to someone on the phone and then you just hear this disembodied voice in the phone. They show the guy that she's talking to so and it's hot. this guy <laughs> so in this easy little apartment like he put his phone number in like a back of a newspaper ad for like for a good time call <laughs> and he's got like all of these like cutouts from porn magazines just taped up to his wall and then there's this flashing neon light that's coming in and it's like a shitty little apartment like you can tell there's so much character just in this like set that they have PBR him on PBR cans yeah it's dirty and messy it's like it's the kind of place to where the only way this guy's getting fucking laid is by having some random lonely woman call him up on the phone and then they start talking dirty to each other and like what's crazy is there is a lot of thought and a lot of character building that goes into this brief, like, what? Not even two-minute scene? Who's the set 
designer of Sex World. If that's what we this character never comes to. back. We never see that character again. But there's there's so much story being told in just this brief two minute scene. Cut and like. I feel like I know so much about this fucking character. Like, he's a real guy that actually fucking existed. And it's just like, it's all in service of this brief moment to just set up that this woman is so sexually repressed and she's so incapable of fully realizing herself, she can't even finish having phone sex. She has to, like, hang it up and, like, very dramatically and tearfully. And you know why? You know what happens there? It's wrapping up, you know, he's... Getting his groove on, which also hot. Love watching dudes jerk off. I feel like we need to see more of that in film. I also love the just practical note set designer over here, prop master. No like, offense, he needs I'm not lube. a fan. He needs lube. It's well, like, yeah, yeah. Know? That's but another like, weird thing about it. In a movie, it. like you wouldn't think about that. It's just like he just started doing it or spitting his hand or. But it's like the fucking prop designer is like, hold on here, we want this to be accurate. Like let's have a, an additional prop ass, on the fucking dick. counter. You know, <laughs> the nightstand next to his PBR can. I mean. I started feeling bad for his dick his dick's just like oh no he's like the only touch i'll know is from myself <laughs> and then uh god and i just i gotta just say too i fucking love dirty talk but i hate improv like i wish i could have this experience but like i can't think of anything to say well that's another thing that's wild about it too is like it seems like a real like like to me, I'm just like, yeah, no, like, that all, like, checks, like, it, it, that definitely seems like, if I were to listen in on just random, like, phone sex conversation, yeah, no, most of them would sound exactly like this. It sounded very genuine. God, okay, if someone wants to write a script, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> I will talk dirty if you give me my line. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so vibe talking podcast at gmail.com. Send us your scripts. God, that would be so fun to do like a cold read. <laughs> It'll be a listener contest. Oh my god, please. You send them what we'll Please them. do that. I want to read it. Okay, but then where this incredibly fresh, phenomenal scene wraps up is he's almost done here. It's starting to get a little too real. And he's like, yeah, I really want to fuck you or something like that, you know. And now all of a sudden it's like, fuck me? And not the idea of me? No! What would be sexy about that? And then they cut back to him just being like, Lisa? 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 And she just, like, literally left him Sobbing, there hanging with his like, dick in his hand. Yeah. Uh, and she's, like, tearfully scene. breaking down. The and then what? Doesn't it, saddest scene in this movie. Doesn't it, like, cut back to her, like, on the bus, picturing this, and she's just got this fucking, like... Yes. This, this completely traumatized, like, expression on her face. That was so awkward like, for me. What is going on with this bitch? Like, stop everything else. What's going on with Lisa? Let's figure oh. this out. Yo, Dr. Dale, get in here. We got someone for you. <laughs> Dr. Dale comes in there with his fucking pipe and everything. And he's like, well, what seems to be the problem here? Oh, God, that was so funny. Because then the next scene after the most emotionally complex character is the least emotionally complex character. Oh, next to Dale, obviously. This is uh, Roger, whose whole yeah. plot line is, I'm problematic. 
And now maybe because I got off, I'm slightly less? Cancel culture? The fuck is that? <laughs> hey, I got a type. Very hot. <laughs> um, so he is talking to the staff at Sex World, and I love this. They're like, hey, we don't judge here. We're not therapists. Direct reference to touch me? <laughs> And, you know, as kind of uncomfortable and just straight up wrong as this scene is, I like that the film is exploring subconscious desire. Because that's the whole thing, is they're talking to this guy and they're like, okay, what's his fantasy? What does he want? And he's like, I'm fresh as hell. I've been getting down with everybody. I've done all kinds of kinky shit. Like, you guys aren't going to shock me. I've been around the world a couple of times here. And then they're like, Okay, so like what would really do it for him? And there you see, this is so cool. Like it shows the people in the control booth, you know, whatever, like being like, okay, so do we think, does he need someone more dominant? Or mm, I think someone's submissive, I think he would just walk all over that. Oh, but if it's too dominant, then I think it's gonna be, you know, like, and they're trying to figure out yeah, like, what personality like, of his like partner, you know. Yo, I think this guy's a fucking racist. And they're like, ooh, black girl. And this fucking scene, she's doing a voice. Yeah. There's a... It's... This is uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. It's shit that took them about three decades for them to look at it and go, Oh shit, this was racist. Oh, damn. But yeah, she comes in and her dialogue feels like it was written by a white person. So that's kind of like tough. No, but I mean, not even just written by a white person, but like written by like a fucking... A white person who doesn't know any like black people at all. whoever wrote like Song of the South. Like he probably wrote this fucking dialogue. <laughs> like it's yeah. bad. It's, it's, it's it so bad, really bad. I'm not going to impersonate the voice. Don't do I don't want to get fucking do canceled. Do not do the voice. Yeah. But yeah, it's really interesting because like the whole thing is like they're telling people, they're like, we'll give you your ultimate fantasy, but not you, Roger. We're going to give you the shit that you think you don't want and we're going to make you fucking like it. Like they're like trolling Roger. No, but like I think that's the thing is it's like when people hate themselves or like hate, you know, like you hate like a character in a movie that like Loki reminds you of something you might do. And it, you know, like, so I think that it's, it's one of those things where it's, he is saying like, oh, I would never do that. I totally don't want to do that. Gross. Because it's like, we don't really see his backstory. So we don't know where these beliefs came from or what. He's talking so much shit and being such an asshole because he doesn't want to like confront that he's slightly less horrible than he claims to be or i don't i don't even know how to articulate that but like, like he's not so racist that he violently rejects her but he's racist enough that he says you people uh, yeah it's pretty bad yeah but you get the sense that like his whole thing is that deep down he is at the very least curious if not outright the most attracted to someone exactly like her and it's that's- just that He's been so conditioned by his environment and the society that he lives in that he's like, no, it will say bad things about me if I were allowed myself to interact with someone like her, let alone like have a sexual encounter with her. And and that's something that they kind of play with on the bus ride over. It's like the two of them are kind of looking at each other and like 
she seems very interested in him, but he keeps kind of looking away. So it's like he was attracted to her, but he wasn't going to go there. Yeah. And then like the end of the movie, spoiler, he wants to like meet her and pursue something and like doesn't realize was she like a real person or was she like a robot? And like, yeah, I'm going to say with that fucking dialogue, she was a robot. No way is that real chick actually <laughs> saying shit like that. No way. And that's what that's what got kind of confusing about it because they never make it fully apparent but you see her existing outside of the confines of sex world so you're like wait was this a real person or was it something to where they modeled the android that's what after i this think exact... is what i'm sure like there's no way for them to efficiently on the budget they had film a scene where they can show one of these blank androids like shifting into the appearance of a real person but if well if, we know that they can do that because another spoiler but like marianne the neighbor like that's someone that she actually knows so some yeah. of these people are having experiences with someone that they've seen or met or you know had feelings for yeah and they also do the same thing with the guy from uh behind the green door johnny johnny something Kate but Keyes. Yeah, Johnny Keys. He makes a cameo in this as himself from behind the green door. Okay, we're jumping around too much. Let's get back on track here. Let's get back on track. So Which we've said it now, we don't have to bring it back up. Like if we skip over Dale completely from here, I think <laughs> I think our listeners would, would appreciate they're, it. They're like, hey, make they're like, the get necessary to it. editing decisions that need to happen. <laughs> Um, I also, last thing on the, on the Roger, John Leslie situation, I find it very bizarre that they keep coming back to this scene. Like he gets a lot of screen time and it's the same scene, but they'll like stop and like, we're going to go see a different scene, but we're going to cut back. What's Roger up to? The same thing he was doing 10 minutes ago. And I'm like trying to figure out why this is. Cause like there are no flashbacks of him, but he's in the film a lot. I mean, I know him, like, as an actor. Like, was he the biggest name in this movie? My, my guess... Because I recognize some other people, but I don't know exactly who they are. I'm just like, oh, I saw them in that other thing, you know? Whereas this guy, like, I feel like he's a little more known, maybe. My, my guess um, might have been that they got him for the film, and then, like, either because of budgetary constraints or time constraints. I wonder if They only was... had so much time to shoot with him. Yeah. And... And they're like, he's a star, we want to give him a lot of screen time, but we only filmed this one scenario. Yeah. You know? But it was... It just felt odd, because it was like, nobody else was like that. Like, everybody else had, like, backstories, and, like, some people had, like, multiple sex scenes. Yeah, um, and that's that's the thing that's kind of weird about this film is like the stuff that it gets right it gets so right but then there's so much other stuff in it that it really starts to distract from the things that it's doing right and it just really loses its focus yeah for the audience watching it it's really tough to like kind of sit through the story because you'll really start to get into what's going on with Joan and Jerry, what's going on with Lisa, what's going on with Millicent and Ralph. But then it's like, oh no, now we have to cut to the control room. Now we have to cut to to Roger and Jill. Now we have to cut to Dale. And it keeps kind of tripping over itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'll eventually refine its footing, but it's like those those moments where it's stumbling. That's where it gets kind of tough to watch. Yeah, And that's that. just unfortunate because... Man, I feel like you go through and do a re-edit of this movie, you'll make it real tight, yeah. like 65 minutes, and bam. It's, yeah. you know, one of the best films to be made in that era. Yeah, agreed. 
Um, so now we get back to Joan and Jerry. And this, I think, is so interesting. Because not only are they a compatible couple, as we see at the beginning of the film, they have super compatible fantasies. And this is some, like, Greek tragedy shit going on here. <laughs> because they tell them, you know, the people working at Sex World are like, don't tell your partners about what you do. Like, you guys go do your thing, respect each other's boundaries, because if you guys start getting into it and what's your deepest desire, it's going to start creating drama. Their fucking deepest desires are, like, the same shit. He wants to watch two chicks get down. She wants to get down with her hot female neighbor. This could be their actual life. This yeah. doesn't even have to be sexual. This could be what they do when they go They're home. They're so, you know? like... They're so close to, to having the perfect relationship. Because they don't discuss that. Yeah. It destroys everything. And that's so bizarre to me, too, though. Because They it's fly like, too close to the sun, and that fucks everything up. Yeah. It's so weird, though, because it seems like they're such a couple that would talk about things. And I was also a little bit confused, because like he's got to know that she's at least bi, right? She's painting naked women constantly yeah they seem like kind of like oh free love we're doing our thing you know it's like how is the idea of like her being with a woman like wait really how has that not already happened in their life you know know, that's bizarre to me that's the thing where like if there was more focus on the film like you could really get into it it's like what is the story that you want to tell about these two characters is it that you want them to find happiness and like strengthen their relationship or do you want to revel in the fact of the tragedy of this of, i think like, that's interesting they're I think so that's close a good to twist. having everything they want instead we got to cut back to roger instead we got to <laughs> cut back to jill instead we got to cut back to whatever the yeah. fuck they're doing in the control room so here comes Jerry's fantasy, and this is the scene you were talking about where it's like the spooky robot and the dramatic lighting and all that. Which you know? is not conducive to boner material. You know what? You know? It kind of makes sense, even though this scene isn't dangerous in the sense of like the robot's going to like snap and kill them or anything like that. This is a scene where it seems like everything's all fun and good, but actually this experience like majorly damages his relationship long term. Yeah. So it's like, that's, I don't know, maybe that's kind of interesting. Maybe they were like, oh, maybe we're playing with fire here. Like, I don't know, maybe that was trying to subtext or something. But they start getting into it, and this was one of my favorite lines in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, the premise of his fantasy is he goes on a date with this girl. He goes back to her apartment. Uh, and this girl's name is Joe, and his wife's name is Joan. And it keeps being like, oh, Joan. No, it's Joe. Come on, you know? And it's like, were they just fucking with him? They're like, let's <laughs> pick, like, essentially the same name, like, just to show you. You love your wife. Come on, you know? So, so he goes back to Joe's apartment, and her hot girlfriend is there. And it's like, babe, I don't know about this guy. Oh, come on, babe. It's going to be fun, you know? And so then the two of them start getting down. And he's just like, oh, my God. And he's just, like, watching and, like, getting all fired up. The expression on his face as he's watching them, (laughs) it is so goddamn funny. It is really funny. (laughs) Because it's like most hetero guys watching this would be like, if that were me, look, I wouldn't be making that face. And it's like, motherfucker, you absolutely would be making that face. Because you'd be, like, so, like, this is crazy. I can't believe this is going on. And just standing there with, like, 15-year-old boy, like, wide eyes. Just <laughs> totally. like, what do I do? What do I... I guess I should go now. Yeah, that's what he says. He says, well, I guess I should be leaving. I really have to go now. And then they just keep fucking and, like, don't acknowledge him. Yeah. And so then he's like, 
<clears throat> I guess I should be leaving now. And then they like still don't. And he's like, this is my cue. This is the cue where we fuck. And so then the control room is like, oh, that was their cue. That was their cue. Time to get him into the mix. <laughs> like, they, they have someone like crack open the door behind him and like start hitting him in the butt with a broom, pushing him towards the bed. Bring it up, bring it up. <laughs> get in there. <laughs> so funny. And then we jump right over to Joan's scene, which is not funny at all. It's very dramatic. She's in her apartment. She's painting a portrait of Marianne, her sexy neighbor. The two of them start, like, making out. And it's, like, sensual, like, passionate lovemaking. And it's just like, Jerry, you dumb... Jerry Rice, too. That's another thing that... It won't stand out for everybody, but it was kind of distracting for me because, like, growing up, uh, Jerry Rice was a big-time football star for the 49ers, which is crazy because this is actually set and shot in San Francisco. Like, Jerry Rice, of course, wasn't in the NFL at that time, but was I don't know, just, just for me. after this film? They named Jerry Rice after the... The iconic character. <laughs> And here we go into the Ralph and Millicent sequence. So now this takes another turn. It goes from being kind of dirty and funny to being super like romantic with like a sexy like saxophone playing as they caress each other, you know, to Millicent being like, I want to get tore the fuck up. Dude, the like, fucking movie stomps on the gas at this point and like fucking takes off. Millicent is telling and she's god like okay, I feel like Lisa is the most like interesting and like relatable character to me, but Millicent is like the most you're watching it and you're just like fuck yeah, like you know? <laughs> like <laughs> she's awesome. Her scenes put the dirty in dirty movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. And she's like her like it, it cuts to like her just her face like she's being interviewed you know they're trying to figure out what her fantasy she knows exactly what the fuck she wants she's like he's she starts it with he's got to have balls like physically and metaphorically like this guy needs, he's like, i just need like fucking you know he's got to be the exact opposite of the man i'm married to she's like i want him to just like rough me the fuck up spit in my face just like i want this shit to go off the fucking rails and they're like all right we got you it's on and then as this is happening she's getting down with this dude you know there's some little rough house going on she starts giving him her tragic backstory but it's i am so like i have a lot to say about this (laughs) okay so she is conveying to this guy while he's like smacking her around she's like and then when I was in high school, this happened. She's just like telling the fucking story. And it's like, are you telling him or are you like reliving this experience yourself to like fuel that into the sexual encounter? And she's telling a story about when she was like in high school and her boss was like being fresh with her and it was like not a totally consensual experience. Or she's not necessarily saying that that was the case, but that's the idea that we're getting from this, you know? But I find it really interesting how they, like, frame this. Because they're not playing it up like it's sexy, because that's fucking gross and horrible. And it's not like the movie is, oh, isn't that disgusting? How hot is that? Like, they're totally not taking that route. 
But then unlike Lisa, who I feel like we're positioned to feel sorry for her, Millicent is telling this story and like she doesn't really seem that like it's not like the violin starts playing and she's got one tear to wipe away as she looks into the camera you know it's like she's getting plowed and she's just telling the story and it's like I almost feel like in a bizarre way they are giving her the power in the scene here like what's happening here is she's like I like rough sex because I've had violent sexual experiences And my fantasy is a direct result of the trauma that I've had in my life. But they're not saying, oh, then there's something wrong with you and we should like heal you. And that's your journey in sex world is like to get over those, you know, it's like we're here to give you the best fucking night of your life. And if that's what you want, if that's what gets you off, then like here you fucking go. And I think it's really interesting because it's like I told you my Tennessee Williams hot take, the way that we look at trauma and sexuality and pornography because you know a little bit off topic but I feel like it is being addressed in this scene here a lot of people have the way of looking at it as like oh people who are involved in these films who are living this sort of life something bad must have happened to them. you know something must have happened to you that made you go into porn you know that's like a tragic ending to somebody's story and I'm not saying that's not a thing but also like we are all a result of the experiences that we've had like I know with no doubt in my mind that like the things that I like in film and in my personal life all these things come from something yeah you know not even talking about sex like we could be talking about you know the way that you behave and carry yourself or the you know types of movies that you watch or whatever line of work you go into you know it's like all the choices you make in your life come from things that have happened to you good and bad And I feel like it's like, you know, maybe, sure, this character's fantasies stem from a dark place. But if she's having fun in this moment, should we judge her for that? And the same way that, like, let's say a performer in this film, you know, I don't know about this actor specifically, but like, you know, let's say somebody goes into this business because of certain experiences that they've had that have now shaped the way that they view sex. If they are having positive experiences, feeling creatively fulfilled, feeling respected by their scene partners and the directors, making art that they're proud of, then like, is that a problem that that backstory is what perhaps led them down that course? I gave the example the other night when we were talking about this of like Tennessee Williams. Every single play that Tennessee Williams wrote is based on trauma and tragedy that him and his family has experienced. But nobody is saying like, isn't it sad that he wrote Streetcar, the most iconic play of all time? (laughs) Isn't it sad that he became a playwright, you know, because he spent his entire fucking life working through that trauma through his plays? We're like, that's sad that those things happen to him, but like, how amazing are these plays? So I think that like, maybe that is the healthier way of looking at that, both in the context of this film and bigger picture. Yeah, but in order to arrive at that conclusion, There's a lot of heavy concepts that you have to work your way through. And so for a lot of people, they they take a very binary approach to sexuality and sexual expression. And a lot of it just has to do with how repressed we are in our society when it comes to sex and exploration and how exactly you go about like discovering your own boundaries and fulfilling your own desires and everything. And so, you know, consent is a very clear thing until it isn't. 
And for some people, like, it becomes something to where it's like, how exactly do you consent to something if you don't know that it's a thing that you want? And, like, if you think back on every single sexual interaction that you've ever had, there's not this, like, clear defining moment where you said to the other person, I am willing to do A, B, C, and D, and I'm not comfortable with doing... Like, there's not those discussions. Like, even in transactional sex there's still like gray area where like until it comes up nobody really addresses it and so that's a bold step that they are taking in this film to sit here and say like there is a traumatic sexual violation that happened to this character either within that moment or as a result of like coping with it or whatever it became this burgeoning like repressed sexual desire that she had and something in which her husband ralph was incapable of fulfilling for a variety of reasons and you see this character as she's going through like what is this violent and somewhat disturbing moment but you're also getting the sense that it's incredibly gratifying for her. Most people watching it are going to be deeply uncomfortable, but at the same time, like, part of that discomfort is due to how you're being aroused because you're like, yeah, like, it's kind of hot because she's into it. Yeah. And it's a weird thing. And, like, honestly, like, when it comes to sex, sex just isn't cut and dry in a way to where it's always pure and beautiful and it's this... We still put on our fucking clothes because there's there's shame in like parading our naked bodies around. That is weird and awkward for everybody. Yet it's just as weird and awkward if we were to try and have sex with all of our clothes on. So just taking this scene, like just, just Millicent's interaction by itself. There's so much that you can sit there and like break down and analyze. And honestly, like the movie needs Dr. Dale to like come in Dr. and be like, Davis. so let's, Dr. Davis, like Dr. Davis <laughs> needs to come in and be like, <laughs> so let's talk about what, what, what happened here. But Dr. Davis is too busy. Like he went from running, you know, the touch me like sex house so like he expanded out to like Sex Street and then Sex Block <laughs> and Sex City. And now he's got a whole sex world to run. Guy's got a lot on his plate. What's fucking crazy is at the same time that that's going on and Millicent is like just, she's talking about like all of these things that she's experienced. Ralph, I don't know that they tricked him, but basically they, they bring him to a two-way room to watch this happening. And then he's just like, I'm kind of turned on by this, but also I'm like really really uncomfortable with this and so they take him off and have his own sexual encounter and then all of a sudden like he's able to break past all of the things that have been holding him back as a sexual being and as a lover for Millicent and all of that just kind of skip ahead culminates in kind of this this beautiful moment where they emerge as they're getting ready to head back home they've got this glow of we have evolved yeah. like both as individuals as well as a couple we are ready to have the best fucking relationship we never thought was possible i love that yeah and it's <laughs> really cool but it's it's pretty disturbing the way that they go about getting there i mean the stuff that happens with roger is honestly more problematic to me in my opinion than like the stuff that's going on with Millicent and Ralph in their encounters. Well, because I feel like the stuff with Millicent and Ralph, it feels a little bit more human in the sense of like, this is what she has experienced and what she's feeling like is very complicated. So you're going to have maybe mixed 
reactions to it. They're aware that this is a character-defining moment. Whereas the shit with Roger, because we don't explore that character, it's just like, you know it would be hot? A racist sex scene. And it's like, is it? Is it? Is it hot? Yeah. Is it necessary to this film? And it's hot. It's hot for somebody, but if you're not that somebody that would find it hot, you're just like, this is deeply weird and uncomfortable. And if you are, like... That makes me a little uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's the other thing that's happening too is if you're not into it but you're realizing that there's somebody else around you that is, you're just like, oh, like, oh that's going like, to be like, a conversation. Who do I know that would be into this and what does that say about them and then also me? Yeah, like, you're like, why do I know this person? Yeah. Yeah. Unchill. Then we skip to Dale's horrible scene which <laughs> the only thing worth <laughs> noting in that scene is she has a framed picture of her ex-girlfriend and the guy that she's going to bang comes in and is like, is that your sister? And he's like, yeah, I put up a framed picture of my sister to watch us have sex. Like, just fucking so stupid. And then as the guy's walking in, she's like, oh, don't let the door close all the way. I can't stand the sound of doors closing. Oh, it's just yeah. so extra. It's just so stupid. God, so I yeah, about that line until you said it. <laughs> the line was funny, but the, oh, the scene is just so dumb and like, this character just doesn't need to exist. But then we go back to, thank God, Lisa. Yeah. Okay. And this was another interesting thing of, like, subconscious desire. Because the whole taxi driver of it is that she talks about how just horribly, horribly lonely she is. And she goes to see pornos, like, not even necessarily just in a fresh way, but, like, and I love this idea of, like, porn as a way of connecting. Like, you go in a movie theater and, you know, even if you're sitting by yourself, there's other people in the room that are, like, having the same experience as you. And, you know, we're all, like, feeling something. We're all having this experience, like, together. And for a character like Lisa or, like, Travis Bickle, who are, like, very, very lonely, these are places that they can go where they don't have to talk to anyone. They don't have to interact with anyone. But, like, we're having this, like, communal shared bliss and yeah but at the same time not everybody's having the same experience they're all looking at the same images but the way that they're reacting to it and responding to it and and the emotions and visceral feelings that they're having aren't universal right for sure and so it's the thing of you can write out a sentence and have five people read it and you know, not everybody's going to take the same meaning from that sentence. Yeah. And all five people might not even, you know, interpret it the same way that the author meant it. Right. But yeah, for Lisa, like, it's a really interesting character. And again, the amount of thought that went into writing this character, writing her scenes, why did it not occur to them, let's cut out some of these other characters so we can focus more on her? Or yeah. let's just write an entire movie just for this character. Yeah, I love that. So she starts telling them, you know, about how lonely she is. And they're like, what do you really, really want, Lisa? And she's like, I just want someone to be nice to me, to notice me in a room, to want to talk to me. And she tells all that, and then she gets sidetracked, and she starts talking about, you know, the movies she goes to see. She name drops the iconic film Behind the Green Door. Mm -hmm. And then she goes back to her... Iconic, but gross and creepy. Yeah, not a fan of that movie. Super problematic, super rapey, super uncomfortable. We will likely not be covering that film. We'll talk about it, but uh, yeah. Uh, Not a fan. TBD. Yeah. So she goes back to her room and they're like, all right, here we go. Phase two. A guy knocks on her door. Lisa, I saw you on the bus and just 
totally noticed you. I was just like, wow, there's something about this girl. Seems like someone I would want to talk to and be nice to. And she's like, (laughs) yeah, you know, I'm good. I'm good here. And sends the guy away. And they're like, damn, like what this girl said she wanted wasn't really what she wanted. And so while she's getting her hair and makeup done for this experience, which I love, that would be me at Sex World. I would be like, where's my costume fitting? Do I get a wig, perhaps? Do I... Oh, and that was really interesting, actually. The wig is there, but she doesn't end up wearing it, yeah. which I think is a really cool like physical manifestation of she is starting to bridge the gap between who I feel like I am, who I want to be, and that maybe those can be the same person. Yeah. So I love that. Very happy for her. So then next person who knocks on her door is the star of Green Door, which in some sense is definitely just like, this is a famous actor, this is a famous movie, like, look at this celebrity cameo. So I get, like, from a marketing perspective of, like, what the appeal to this would be. But to me, from a narrative character direction, this chick wants to feel like she's in a movie. And so her fucking, not the actor who was in the movie, but he's in the, like, costume and makeup and stuff from the film. So it's like she's in the movie, or feeling like she's in the movie, you know? And I love that. I mean, shit, like... That is literally what I'm all about. Like, let's allow ourselves to live a life that's cinematic. So I liked it. I thought it was a great scene. And the soundtrack is bomb. That's one thing Green Door has going for it. That fucking music slaps. Mm -hmm. And she's got, like, orange velvet sheets and just very expressive faces. And it's a good scene. It's a good scene. And then that is where we shift gears into the ending here. So like you said, we got Millicent and Ralph who are now totally crushing it. Their relationship has been mended and is on the track to being awesome. And then in a tragic twist, Joan and Jerry, the perfect couple, are now on the rocks. Joan goes to the dudes at Sex World and are like straight up like, how am I supposed to deal with this shit? Like after I had that fabulous night with Marianne last night, how am I supposed to go back home to fucking Jerry? I feel like I don't have a marriage to go back to. I don't even feel like there's anything left. That's what she says. And it's like, that's what I'm saying. Like the tragedy of it. It's like, God damn it. If you guys would just have a conversation, you guys could all go back and be doing that shit together. And yeah. just having well, like, everyone's living their best life. And that's the beauty of film. Like when it's done well enough, like it leaves room for you, the audience to interpret what the characters are saying and feeling, but then also like what they're going to do after the film ends because if they were written and performed well enough you believe you get immersed enough to believe that they're real people who exist and so you're able to imagine like where does the story go after this and like if you want to take an optimistic view on it on the way home or at some point after that they talk about like what they experienced and then they have that realization of like wait a minute we want kind of the same thing like let's just do that in real life I almost wonder if she is in love with Marianne. Yeah. Like, because we get the sense they're neighbors, they're probably friends, you know? And so it's not just, like, a crush or something, you know? Like, where she would be fine, like, let's have a three-way, you know? It's like, if she really is, like, in love with her, then it's like being married to Jerry and him jerking off while we make love, like, seems wrong, you know? Yeah. So I, I get that. And the the more pessimistic, tragic reading of it is, is that her realization of 
she wants to be with somebody who maybe doesn't want to be with her and and you know in the same way that ralph and millicent started off being like we'll never be fulfilled we'll just be stuck together miserable that might be where jerry and joan end up if they even stay together after that but if they're able to figure out you know something that works you know maybe it works out for them in the end who knows but it is to the credit of the film that you are like thinking about that as it's happening you're just like damn like that's fucked up i really liked that like i was like oh shit you know like i thought that was a really good twist a really good end and it was such a cool contrast to do that where it's just like here's the couple that seems hopeless and like now they seem like everything's great and here's the couple that seems like everything's great and now it's just like no you got some major problems Mm -hmm. you know and then also like fucking lisa just like wearing a cute hat lisa comes out and she's got like big sunglasses and a big smile and a big hat and she's like yeah i'm totally cute yeah she's like like, i'm gonna go out and crush it like i'm so happy for her i love lisa (laughs) and then and then stupid ass racist roger is just like hey man let me give you 30 bucks to let me stay and he's like he's like no sir i can't take any money he's like 40 bucks 50 bucks like and the guy's just like no man you gotta get on the fucking you gotta get the fuck out of (laughs) here and then what's what's hilarious is the real version assuming it's the real version of the doppelganger that he hooked up with you see her getting on the bus and like she's like kind of like winking back to the camera and that shit like confused me because it's just like okay did he sleep with the actual real person no it seems like no he definitely didn't because no way would she have said any of those lines in but then life. did the android murder the real girl and now has taken her place and that's why she's winking no, back to I us i think she was just checking him out because in the beginning she was checking him out she just thought he was hot and like probably didn't know that he was racist and didn't know that he slept with a doppelganger of her yeah, that's like what all these things are is like the tragedy of Joan and Jerry would just talk to each other. They could be having three ways all the time. If Roger had just made a move on that girl and not been such a fucking asshole, like she's totally interested. He could be well, having again, that sex for real, like maybe without the problematic dialogue. But again, like, going back to like how the audience interprets it, like is he going to get on the bus see and be like, Jill, oh, hey, and then <laughs> immediately be like. Hey, is this seat taken? Can I say, what's going on with you, girl? You know, and like sit down with her. And I know I, I said I wasn't going to do the voice she was doing earlier. You can now... do his voice. That's yeah. <laughs> Don't do her voice. Do his voice. But I feel like I'm getting close to crossing a line. Do you better too. dial it down a notch. Yeah. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> Hello, miss. May I sit next to you on this bus ride back? I would like to get to know you. But, yeah. So, again, like, you you see to where, like, if people are able to, like, let their guard down a little bit and and allow themselves to be a little bit more free and comfortable, like, we're within proximity of finding, like, happiness and and satisfaction and fulfillment. But, But there is so much that the world builds up, but then also that we build up ourselves to create these barriers that become impenetrable and prevent us from finding that happiness that we're so desperate to seek. Yeah. Yeah. A relatable film. And that's, I fucking I mean, love Anthony Spinelli. Yeah. This guy's asking the real questions. And I think kind of like what we're talking about in our preamble, when it comes to discussing these films, like there are obvious reasons why we wanted to talk about Deep Throat. 
And then it became kind of a challenge of like deep throat, like people know about deep throats. So it makes it easy for us to like find an angle, discuss that. But how are we going to continue to do this with these other films? But as we're going along, we are finding these films that have interesting things to say. And it just really requires the audience to give it more credit than just like, oh, it's just a dirty movie. Like you just, you're just supposed to watch that so you can like, you know, get hard for sex or so you can. You know, jerk off. I honestly cannot imagine having sex during this movie. Like, there's so <laughs> much happening that I would be like, like, shh, hold on. You know? Yeah. Well, and that's where, like, for me, this film really clicked. This was meant to be a movie and a story that also was willing to show some graphic depictions of sex. I think it's more... A lot of the sex is pretty good. It actually is. I feel like this movie is way hotter than Touch Me. Touch Me is so good, but it's, like, really not hot. Yeah, no, it's not. Like, I love the heart of Touch Me, but, like, I don't want to touch Touch Me. I don't want (laughs) Touch Me to touch me. I just want us to, like, sit in a room and, like, talk about our ideas together. Yeah. But with this, it's just kind of like, yeah, like, this was a movie to where it's like, yeah, I would like to see more of this little world explored. See, I feel like this is, like, the fucking, the perfect setup. Like, you go, you watch the movie... You pay attention to the film because there's a lot going on, but you also just watch people fuck. So it's like now the date is over. You're going back to the apartment, and it's like we're all fired up. Yeah, you. These you, are like pregame movies in my mind. These are like the movies that like you go with your friends and like watch in the theater. Like you're not going in the theater to jerk off. You're going in the theater to watch the film, enjoy it, discuss it afterward, and then like jerk off when you get home. Yeah, jerk off or or you know get down like when you get home. Yeah. So I'm glad that you had found this film and you're like, hey, let's watch this next. Let's talk about it. And I'm glad that I made myself go back and rewatch it because it's in that second viewing to where it's just like, okay, now I I can understand what's going on. And then also you kind of know the scenes to where you can kind of check out for a little bit uh, because that stuff doesn't matter. But I give this a big seal of approval and a firm recommendation. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. I think this is a really good movie for someone who maybe wants to get into this type of film, but, like, hasn't really watched much of it or doesn't really know where to start. Because I know I said that about Touch Me, but, like, prefacing Touch Me with, like, this is just, like, an interesting avant-garde art film. Like, if you want to watch porn, like, this is not it. Sex World is porn. Like, it's actually pretty hot. But it's also pretty interesting and has a good story and has compelling characters. So I think that this movie is one of the most solid, clear examples of an erotic film. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot going on just from a film perspective, character perspective, story perspective. And, like, it is fucking spicy, hardcore porno. So if you want something that really has both, this is a great movie to watch. And it's just one of the things that I feel like some of these films just don't do a good job of doing, and that is to have a compelling, understandable reason for why this sex is occurring within yeah. the movie. You know, that it doesn't seem so random. It's just like, well, yeah, no, it's it's a sex resort called Sex World. Of course there's sex. Like, yeah. duh. Do we already know what we feel like we're going to get into next? I mean, it's always subject to change, depending on when we put these episodes up and everything. 
But well, I still really want to do Dixie Ray, yeah. which is another Anthony Spinelli film. It's and it, John with John Leslie. Leslie. Yeah, yeah, it's like a film noir detective movie, and it's really good. It's very fun. That would be a good one to do. Um, Devil and Miss Jones mm-hmm. is a good one. Oh, like... something else I wanted to go back to. So with this movie, there were multiple sapphic uh, scenes. The thing I thought would have been interesting with this movie was to have a closeted male character who discovers or, you know, allows himself to experience, you know, a homosexual experience and and be like, oh, wow, like, finally, I don't have to worry about any of the other shit holding me back. But sort of, I understand, like, why they didn't do it. I don't agree with it. But I, I feel like that's that's another way that they could have improved this film. But... All that to say that, uh, you know, we are targeting to also talk about Boys in the Sand. Yes, Boys in the Sand, although I don't feel like either of us are the target demographic of this film. It is a super significant historical film with a very cool backstory. And the DVD that I have of it actually has like a director commentary. Oh. And I really want to watch that. Man, how many director commentaries exist for these movies? I don't know. I would like to look into that more. I would really like to watch more yeah. stuff like that. Like with Deep Throat, I mean, there's a lot of interviews with uh, Damiano and um, stuff like immediately following the film, as well as like years later when he has a much different perspective on it. And, and a lot of the cast, too. Like that's... Man, that's got to be one of the most well-covered films out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like, that's super interesting thinking about, like, a film, especially if it's a good film that mm-hmm. has a director commentary. Yeah, we'll have to watch it uh, both with and without. I think I'm going to like it a lot more with the commentary. Because straight up, like, it didn't really do it for me. It's, like, well done. Like, and there's a lot of, like, beautiful shots and like but there's no like dialogue it's like i think he did it on super eight yeah and it's not a lot of story you know it's and i like story and i like character and there's not really much of that in there but i am very interested in the the guy who did it and like there's a whole plot line on the deuce on that Mm -hmm. show that is about like one of the characters is like one of the actors from that movie and they talk about it and like the impact that that film had and it's it's super interesting the guy who made it just seemed like a fucking badass. Like, <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, then uh, look forward to that. And then in the meantime, what do you want to uh, promote? Good Vibe Cinema, as always, the uh, production company behind this show. Uh, we are on Instagram. We have, you know, Super 8 films that you and I have worked on. There are some photos and clips from a play that I just did at the Fringe Festival that... Um, I wrote and performed in as well, and that'll be something, perhaps a traveling show at some point, which is pretty exciting. But yeah, I mean, Good Vibe Cinema has a lot of stuff that is this kind of vibe, you know, because these films are a big influence on me as a person and me creatively. So if you like this show, you might like some of the other shit that we're doing. Uh, And then Vibe Talkin' has an Instagram as well. And now uh, Vibe Talkin' and Good Vibe Cinema both have Twitters, mm-hmm. which we need to maybe step it up a little bit there. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone knows how to use Twitter, please reach out to me. Because <laughs> I don't know what to do. The world would be a better place if nobody knew how to use Twitter, but it's a necessary evil. The gram is the happening place. Just, just come chill over there. 
Yeah, so uh, hit us up on those. Uh, show us that uh, you're you're following and, and listening, and uh, you know we'd love to hear any feedback that you have. And uh, oh yeah, don't forget write us a, a script for a phone sex conversation. We will read it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited. I will get out a prop phone and everything. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's gonna do it for me. All right, we're calling it. Have a super chill night, you guys. Yeah, keep those vibes going. That's what's up.